Good morning. Good morning. Oh, how are you? Good. Chad, you forgot to mention the most important thing at the baptism is that there is an inflatable water slide so the kiddos can go, just the kiddos can go on it. And, uh, but we're trying to have like a, yeah, we want to celebrate these baptisms. We want to enjoy as a church family, uh, the, the kids who've made this decision and adults. And so, uh, we hope that you join us for that. And then lastly, I, I, uh, where's my front row? (laughs) Is there something I don't know? Is there something, is it me? Do I spit when I talk? I walked in and I'm like, okay, somebody's trying to tell me something. Okay. Well, if you're here and uh, it's your first time, I want to welcome you. I know a few of you I have not seen before. And so uh, my name's Ryan. Uh, I'm the lead pastor here. Chad, who was just up here, is the associate pastor. If you have any questions, just wanted to know more about who we are as a church, please, we're, we're not a, a, a mega church. So you can come up, ask us questions, and we'd love to chat with you and get to know you a little bit. Um, and then we are in this book of Hebrews. And the book of Hebrews, we're getting very close to the end of it. And if you stuck with us the whole time, you will have understood the main theme of the book. And if you're here for the first time, I'll just briefly give you the idea of it. Is this writer of this book is trying to get the people who are struggling in this church. And they're at a place where the world is collapsing in on them. The Roman Empire does not love them and are persecuting them. Their own family and friends have turned on them because they've turned to Jesus. And so they're between a rock and a hard place. And I don't know if you've ever been there, but this, this is extremely relatable to us who have struggled in our faith when it's been hard. When we feel like there's no way out. And we've, we've, we've just hit one obstacle after the next, and we're at a fearful place. And you're going, God, where are you? This book is very, very encouraging to us as well. The main thing he's trying to get them to see is that why following Jesus and following the way he lived his life is worth everything, no matter how difficult it is. It's the kind of book I think that a church needs to hear occasionally. We love to hear about how wonderful God is and how he can bless your life. We love those types of sermons. And we sometimes love those types of promises. But this is a promise that you will have difficulty in your life, but endure And you must push through. Last week we got into it. Uh, I didn't get to finish my sermon, so I get to finish it today. Last week we got into this, uh, the whole main theme, I would say, is is this uh, push to the strength to continue when it's difficult. He spent 10 chapters out of the 13 chapters trying to explain to them who Jesus is and the position he holds and why they can put their security in them. And the last few chapters are just, listen, these are the practical things that you need to do to hang on. And so in this section he gets into is you got to have the strength to continue. And the idea behind it, and I would say this isn't his words, but these are my words, is that you have to go from I possess my faith to a point where your faith possesses you, where you're walking not by sight. 
you're walking not, not by what you can uh, uh, see around you, but you're seeing further than that. That's when you begin to feel like you're being possessed by faith. There's someone in our church I was talking to, and they're going through a very difficult time, and it's a physical thing. And I was very, very concerned because it, it, it's a hard thing to go through, hard news. And I walked in church the other day, <clears throat> and I said, uh, how are you? And the response I got back felt like someone possessed by faith. I was stunned by it, and I hope that in moments like that, I have that same resilience, that same endurance. I'm not going to say this person's name, but I'm very, very proud of what I saw, and it was a model for me of when difficult times come, does my faith possess me? Is it just letting me see further, trusting God more completely? We, we got this idea last week that what, what happens when you hit the wall in faith, we compared it to like the runners who hit the wall. And there's practical things you can do to get out of that. And this is what the writer starts to do. He talked about remember the legacy that has been laid before you. There are those who have walked in faith before you and have given you an example in difficult times like this person in the church did for me. It reminds me that, that, that there are those who can be possessed by their faith. Trust totally in God. And so we talked about that a little bit. He's, he finishes up chapter 11, and we read, you know, uh, verse 29 all the way through the rest. And he uses these examples of like, listen, it was by faith that this was done. But then what I think he did was the most responsible thing you can do to anybody in a church. He talked about faith in triumph. And we love faith in triumph. We love sharing our testimony. We love it when we come out of the valley and we're on the mountaintop. We love that. It's something that it's like it, that seems to be more okay to share than, than what he brings up in the very next verse. Because he brings up all these triumphs that have happened through faith. And then the very next verse he says, and then let me talk about the tragedies in faith. And there has to be that balance. There are times that we have victory now, and there's times that we will have victory in heaven. And it's a, it's a sobering thought. There are times that when we are on the mountaintop and we see it finished and times that we don't. There are times that we are in very difficult times and we're wondering, God, where are you in the valley of the shadow of death? But we will fear no evil. And so I think it was important because Jesus did say, we will have trouble in this world, but don't take heart because I have overcome the world. And that's that type of possessing faith, that when you're going through a very, very hard time. And remember, I, I have known a few people in my life, my father being one of them who passed um, suddenly and, and tragically, and a man full of faith, like his whole life was faith. And I remember having that moment to go, in the valley you died. And he was going through a very hard time. And, but it didn't end there for my dad. He's what would be John 14. Jesus said, my father has many rooms in his house that he's prepared for you. And so my dad is living in victory now, although he didn't get to see it fully finished here. It's a sobering thought, and it's very hard, because how in the world could a loving God allow me to go through such difficulty, if you've ever asked that question? 
And I love what Charles Spurgeon said, as long as you have breath, this is a really good quote to remember for yourself, which is this, I would go, he said, to the depths a hundred times to cheer a downcast spirit. It is good for me to have been afflicted that I might know how to speak a word in season to the one that is weary. Have you ever been there? Where you've gone through something very difficult and one who is weary, you are able to hold their hand and say, I understand and I'm with you. Think about those times in your life that you've done that. And that's what you do when you endure through faith. Um, We talked about this reason he brings up, which is the reason to endure. And there is a reason to endure. And there's there's a focus that helps you endure, and that is staying focused on who Jesus is and his ministry and how he lived his life. And so he gets into that a little bit of like, just lay aside all these weights that hinder you and run the race like laid out for you because God does have a race for you. And he's asking you to persevere in it, no matter how difficult it is, but to continue to place your trust in him. And he says, look to Jesus, verse 2 of 12, look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. And it was by joy, right? That he endured. And we talked about this last week. He's on the cross and he is speaking love and bringing salvation to someone in his death. It was his joy to do it in the midst of suffering. Okay, so I said last week, this this one is going to be a tough one. And it's going to be a tough one for some of us in this room. But this is an encouragement. This is not a discouragement. And I think when we read this, many, many people have misinterpreted this verse. And maybe you have misinterpreted this verse and given you maybe a distorted view of how God deals with you. But then he's always talking about that. Listen, keep your eyes on Jesus. Stay focused. There's a legacy that's been laid before you and a foundation. But there's this thing that you have to know that actually should deepen our love for God and and, and also his love for us. And it's to embrace the correction. Have you ever felt like God was correcting you? It's an an uncomfortable thing that God would correct you or he would discipline you. It's an uncomfortable feeling to feel that, that God, this God of love, is going to bring discipline in your life. And, and I think I use the word correction because it's a better word than how we would interpret discipline. Discipline, when you hear it in this scripture, when I read it, it's not punishment. And it's hard for some of us to really separate that. It's not punishment. It's correction. And love corrects. Anger punishes. And so God is, in this context, lovingly correcting his people. And if you love someone, you'll correct them from an action that they are possibly taking. And I do understand this, that many of us, when we hear the word discipline, we have filters behind that. And so some of us, discipline in our household was abuse. And some of us, discipline in our household was, was, was in some cases, torture. That's not 
a, that's a filter that we may have, but when you read it, you'll have to try your best to hear love and discipline here. You know, it, it's, it's kind of this thing that we have to realize that put our trust more and more in God's character as we're going through tough things and you're going, God, why don't you remove this from my life? And it stays. And you have to know that maybe there's a deeper love there behind that for you. I don't think my dad's death was disciplining me. I think it was a tragedy that happened and the Spirit, Holy Spirit comforted me through that. But I do think there are times in our life where we're going, why God, don't you change this for me? And maybe it could be discipline in our life to strengthen our faith. I think that's love. It, it, have any of you ever met a child who was undisciplined? Okay, so you have. Okay, we all relate on this. And when you, re, when you encounter a child who is undisciplined, it's, it's sh shocking <laughs> to see what's happening <laughs> with that child. And, and you know what you think. You're thinking the same thing I would be thinking, which is, ooh, the world's going to be cruel to you. The world is going to be, you're going to get out into the world, out from underneath your parents, and the world is going to have to discipline you, and it's going to be a hard one, right? And so we know this. We, we do not remove the problem from our children when they're experiencing a struggle, unless you want your child to not understand resistance, which brings growth. Everything needs resistance. Everything needs a struggle. Your Christian life cannot be easy, or it will not grow. And I know that's kind of a hard pill to swallow, but it's, it's, it's not an American dream promise. This is scriptural truth, which is if your faith is not struggling, it might be a little like too comfortable for you. And so God is saying, listen, I'm not going to remove these, pro these problems from you. And that is part of his discipline and allowing some of us to go through things that are difficult to shape us to be stronger in that discipline. Think of, just remember this. Think of this child that is undisciplined, and you are literally like, oh, I'm not letting my kid hang out with that kid. You know what I mean? And when the child's at your house, you're like, oh, I'm not letting an undisciplined child come to my house. So think about that when it comes to God. He's not going to just make your life easy. He's going to allow you to struggle, right? I remember <clears throat> the first time I disciplined one of my children as a newer parent, and it was hard to see their anger towards me when they were disciplined. Can you relate, mom and dad? It's awful to feel it. Now, I'm mature enough to go, like, I know that I'm doing this for a reason, but the response is like, oh, maybe I was too hard on them. Maybe I should have, right? Oh, I should have not let them struggle like that. It's, it's our natural parental I don't know what it is, but you just feel terrible that they're hurting so bad. And then they go in their room, and they're sitting on their bed, and you know what they're saying? They're like, my, my parents hate me. They hate me. How could they do this to me? Do you know what I'm talking about? And then you have to tell them, this hurts me more <laughs> than it hurts you. <laughs> and they're like, you are a liar. But, the, but you know in your head... That if I do not do this, the consequences will be much greater for them later. And so I care enough to do something difficult for them. 
This is the mindset of when we think about God in correction and God in discipline and God in hard times. You may feel like he has abandoned you, but maybe look deeper and see what he's trying to show you. Maybe there is something there that we need to overcome. <laughs> I was uh, thinking about this phrase I heard, um, and it's the phrase of like, how can someone learn if there isn't a teacher? And I started thinking about like, oh yeah, like, you know, I'm, if your name is Bob, I always use this name, but if you're Bob in the office and Bob drives you crazy and you can't stand Bob, he does a lot of self-bragging, humble brags, tries to, to, tries to make one-up your stories all the time. Do, do you know Bob? Does everybody know Bob? And, and it's just more and more and more. And you are just, how can I even be kind to Bob? Like, I'm supposed to love, but how can I be kind to him? I don't want to be kind to him. Bob needs to suffer. That's what I would feel sometimes. And, 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 but then, if you think of that idea of that, how can someone learn unless there's a teacher? Well, Bob is your teacher. Well, God, why don't you just... Can you just transfer Bob somewhere else? Can you just promote me so I get away from Bob? But maybe you haven't learned how to be patient and love someone when they're unlovable yet. Right? So that's the idea I think that the writer is getting behind, that these difficult places. And remember this. All of the great people of faith that were listed in the list before of all these triumphs, all of them were disciplined. David was disciplined. After Bathsheba. But not only that, there's the other side, which is David was disciplined because he had to do things that he couldn't do, but he had to trust in faith beyond his eyes. It's a level of discipline and correction in that way. My favorite one of those characters that were listed is Gideon. Because I, I, I'm going to say something that's probably not theologically correct, so don't judge me, but I have a hunch. And in the story of Gideon, He's a fearful man. He's hiding from these, this nation that's oppressing their people. And Gideon is scared. And they are secretly processing all of their food underground because the invading force comes in and just steals everything and rides off with all their food. And the angel of the Lord tells Gideon, you're going to, as one man, go and overtake this unbelievably powerful force. And he's like, uh, I can't do that. And God is like, I love your heart. Go in that passion that you have. He's like, no, 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 no. I don't think I can do it. And he's like, you got it. I love that attitude. It's a really weird story. And then Gideon is told to go and then go in your town. And I want you to go tear down all of the gods, the false god uh, altars that are in your town. And reclaim this place for me and put an altar up for me. And so with God behind him, he still goes and does it secretly at night in a covert operation. So much so that nobody even knows who did it. And there's not much faith in what he did. And so he has a lack of trusting that God will deliver on what he said. And then... He goes to God and God says, listen, you're going to go and you're going to take people and you're going to go reclaim everything and you're going to fight back this scourge that's on your, in your territory. And here's what I think is fascinating. 
this is where correction is coming in in the story, I think. Is Gideon uses this famous story, right, of the fleece. So he lays out this fleece. And he says, God, if you're telling me this and it's you, I need you to give me a sign. I don't know if you've ever been so desperate. You've been there. I need you to give me a sign. And so he says, I tell you what, if there is dew on the fleece, but no dew on the ground in the morning, I will see that it's a sign from you. And then he gets up in the morning. God says he will do it. And there's just exactly what he asked. But then I think he reasons like we will do. And he comes back out and he says, okay, wait a minute. Maybe the dew dried up really fast on the ground. And so, um, so God, can I, I tell you what, let's reverse it. Let's put the fleece out. And if dew is, is, is just on the ground and not on the fleece, then I'll know it's you. And God's like, sure, I'll do it. And I think, like, he's like, great, I got my sign. It's perfect. But God, God doesn't seem to work this way. And so <laughs> this is where I am going off maybe the theological rails here. But I just then, the next thing is, is he gets an army of 30,000 people. And God says, oh, um, Gideon, why don't you tell everybody who's scared to go home? And, like, three-quarters of his army leaves. <laughs> and it wasn't even big enough to fight this army yet. And so he's like, oh, oh, okay. And so do you see what's maybe happening in reverse? Okay, okay, Gideon, now all the guys that you have, like this 10,000 people left, why don't you go have them drink out of this water? And ones that drink this certain way, I want you to keep them for battle. And that brought them to like 300 people. And he's like, now you got it. I love the way God maybe feels like he's correcting here. You, you, you didn't have enough faith? Okay, got it. You tested me twice. Now I'm going to test you twice. And I think that what it did for Gideon was show him that the faith in who he is listening to is all that matters. I don't know if the fleece thing would have happened if he would not have been able to go in there with 30,000 people. But God said, let me get you down to the faith I need you to, to where you're going to now fight with nothing and win. And they did. All throughout the Bible, God is doing corrective things to increase their faith. And I would like to encourage you in this. There are times throughout your life, God is maybe doing corrective things to get you to step out in a little bit more faith. Okay, so verse 5. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? He's going to quote Proverbs 3. And he's going to quote this he doesn't fully quote it, but I will. It says, my son, this is Proverbs, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. Don't regard it lightly. Don't be weary when it's difficult. And he goes on to say in Proverbs 3, for the Lord disciplines the ones he loves. If he did not love you, he would not challenge you. He would not discipline you. He wouldn't correct you. The course. And he chastises every son of whom he receives, meaning that if you're God's kids, he's not going to let you go undisciplined. If you're in my house, you're going to be disciplined. But let me read the rest of it. I wish he would have had it in there. I, I, I don't know who I can write a letter to about this, but he should have finished the quote. Proverbs, it's in uh, verse 13 and 14, is the finishing of that statement we just read. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom. And this is why discipline is important. 
and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her wisdom is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. Meaning this is that the growth that you have through the difficult time, the discipline, the correction, is worth more than anything you can imagine. It's leading you in steps of faith. Verse 7, it is for discipline that you have to endure. It is for the shaping and refining and the sanctification, this theological word, meaning that you are beginning to act and walk more like Christ into his holiness, right? You are doing things that are challenging you to take another step of faith the way Jesus did. And then it says this, God is treating you as sons, sons and daughters, as his child. And so because you are his child in his house, he will not make this a flat road for, he will not be a bulldozer parent or a helicopter parent. God wants you to grow. And if we can see sometimes the difficult struggles in life, the Hebrew writer is trying to say, as actually maybe God loving you enough to bring you past a behavior, past a lack of faith, it, if you can see it as love, you might appreciate a little bit more that you are God's child. Um, have you ever coached your kid before? Oof. You want to be totally neutral, but when you are coaching your kid, and if you've ever seen a coach on a team and they have their kid, are they easier on their kid or are they more difficult on their kid? Right. And sometimes too hard, right? You shouldn't make them cry. But, <laughs> but sometimes you look at it and you're like, well, you're so hard on your kid. You're wanting to make sure they get it right. You're getting their fundamentals right. You're making sure that, why would they make that decision? They're really, really, really hard on the kid. Why? Because it's their kid. They're not talking to the other kids like this. And so it's, it's a sign that God is, sees you as his child and will treat you as his child, as one he loves enough to make them grow in resistance. So he's treating you as sons. He says, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which you have all participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Oof. Meaning, if you're not finding that God is correcting you in your life and it will be difficult in correction, then if you're finding that it's just the easiest road ever, then it's, it's interesting because he's saying, then maybe you're not actually God's child. That's probably my hardest statement in the entire um, section. He says, besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them, right? And, and it is that way. You tend to respect those who are hard on you in a way because they're driving you to be better. And you respect them later. I didn't respect anything my parents did until I was 25. Do you know what I'm talking about? I remember sitting down with my dad and I was like, I understand why you, you were, um, you know, serious about a few things. I get it, right? My kids haven't done it to me yet, but God, it's going to come, and I can't wait. 
And I'm going to pretend that I'm not so excited inside. But, oh, it's good that you came to inside party. Like, I can't wait for that day. But it, it's, it's to someone's detriment if they are not being corrected, right? We love them too much not to discipline them. And so he's saying that we respect even your father who did it. Now he transitions here to God. Shall we not much more be subject to God, the father of the spirit, spirit and, and live? Now, did you notice he switched the word? He said subject and he switched it from respect. Being subject to God is a much stronger word. And not just respect that God did what he did, but subject means total trust because God is good and he has your best interest. And it's perfect in his decision making. It says, for they disciplined us for a short time, meaning our earthly fathers, as it seemed best to them, meaning within their own reason and ability. They did the best they could with what they had. But he disciplines us, God, for our good that we may share in his holiness. There it is. If you find yourself struggling and you're going through a hard time and it's hard that some of the things God's leading you through, it's because he's refining you more and more and more to walk as Christ walked. He is forming you into that way for his glory. It says, Verse 11, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Yeah, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Now, remember who he's writing to. These people at any moment, it could be, could be put up on a cross and lit on fire. And he's saying, listen, it yields a peaceful fruit to righteousness in which you're being trained by it. Uh, it's not on the screens, but I'm going to read Romans uh, 5, 3 through 5. Not only that, Paul says, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Now, I'm not going to lie. I used to read that scripture outside of the context of Hebrews, and I used to kind of just be perplexed. Like, how am I going to enjoy suffering? Like, there's these really sadistic people who love suffering when they work out. You ever hear him talk about it? It's annoying. It's like, you, you're, you're like deranged. No one loves this. Like, but in this context here of Hebrews, Romans makes a lot more sense to me. Is that through your suffering, through in some ways the things that God is not removing from your life that are shaping and refining you, know that suffering produces endurance. And this is the key of which the writer of Hebrews is wanting them to do is just continue to endure. And I said this last week, God, this is not a call to martyrdom. This is not a call to just go, well, now just go and die. This is a call to endure, to keep taking steps forward. And, keep, and it's uh, steps forward, and it's training you for when more difficult things come. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God loves, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so if you think about it, the, the, this temporary suffering you might be going through, it's worth asking God, are you trying to show me something in this? Are you trying to reveal something in this? 
And then he, you maybe realize that he's trying to increase your humility. He's trying to increase your patience. He's trying to increase your faith because it's going to take faith to take the next step. He's trying to weed out the sin in your life. And this is, this is a God who loves his children so much. He was willing to die, so therefore he's willing to go every bit of the mile to refine and shape you in holiness. It, it, it can be tough, but man, who you are on the other side. Please, just by show of hands, if you've ever gone through a very, very difficult time, and on the other side of it, what you had to learn because you had to learn, and now you've become wiser in that area, please raise your hand. right? So you understand the concept of this. And then you probably have said, oh, I need to pass this along to the young me who was going through the trial, right? Have you not? And I need to be with them through that. Corrie ten Boom, uh, she said this really interesting statement. She said, how painful it is to have God pry something out of our hands. And I was like, oof. How painful it is when God has to, is trying to take something that is not great for us. Like arrogance or pride or sin, deception, lie, all of these things, any weight, like the writer was saying, like lack of faith, difficulty, pressures, how difficult it is when he was trying to pry that out of our hands and we just say, I trust you. We love being in control, do we not? And God is saying, I am in control. I am in control. And so when we experience discipline in our life, the writer is encouraging them, tough times are coming for you. You've watched your friends die, he's telling them. I've seen your friends die. You have loved ones who've turned their back on you and you feel absolutely alone, but you are not. You are right maybe where God is refining you to be the people that lay a legacy that why we're here today because of the refining discipline. And you will do the same for someone else. The fourth <clears throat> exhortation, I wrote a bonus one too, just in case, we don't, if we have time to get to it, um, is the courage and fear. This is kind of where he is going to really challenge them to dig deep. Have courage and fear. I love Brene Brown, some of her books and teachings. She said something that I thought was powerful. She's very big on vulnerability. It takes a lot of courage to be vulnerable. But this is the statement she made. I think it's universal that she said, you can choose courage or you can choose courage or you can choose comfort. You cannot choose them both. You, you, have to choose courage. You cannot choose courage and comfort. Courage will get you out of the comfort zone. And it will take courage to follow what God is trying to refine in your life. I think faith and courage are in a relationship a, a, and have a growth mindset for you. They belong together. It takes courage to take the steps God's calling you to. It takes courage to put total trust. Like this person I talked to at the church the other day, I just saw such courage in that faith. Not delusion, not, not, not like uh, any compartmentalizing going on, not a dissonance from it. It was absolute faith. I saw it in this person's eyes and it took courage to do it in the middle of the struggle. 
he's going to quote in this next verse, he's, gonna, he's taking Isaiah 53 and he's taking Proverbs 4 and mashing them up in this verse. He says, therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. Verse 13, and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather healed. This is a beautiful verse of sanctification. What is lame? What is out of place? What is struggling? What is holding you back will be healed. And I think that's the process of it takes courage to continue to trust that God is who he is. I have time for the bonus. Okay, here's your bonus exhortation. And it's the one that everybody hates, but it's the one that pays off in the long term, and it's delayed gratification. He finishes these last verses uh, in 12, 15. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. Now, he's speaking about their faith. He's speaking about those who want to let go. He's speaking about those who are angry with God or maybe even angry with the person who brought them to faith, that they've ruined their life. He's talking to those who are literally in a place where uh, their hatred for what they're experiencing could distance themselves from God. And by it may become defiled, meaning that they would fall into a place where they're susceptible to sin. That no one is sorry that um, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, this figure that he mentioned earlier between Jacob and Esau. And, and if you don't know the story briefly, his Jacob Esau had a birthright, which was the most important thing he could have had as a as a firstborn, and he was so hungry that he sold his birthright to his brother for a bowl of soup. So that's the context of what we will get to. And he says, uh, unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Uh, This is not about losing your salvation. This verse. This verse is about those who maybe even haven't decided. They say, I go to church, but I haven't believed. I'm around this community, and and, and I like this Jesus, and I like the people, but I haven't believed. And he's talking to those people. Don't forfeit your birthright for a meager, brief reprieve from the suffering. Don't give that up. There will be a time when you cannot repent and get that back. So press in and finish the race. If you guys could bow your heads. I I love this section of scripture for a lot of reasons. For me personally, it has challenged me in my faith. Um, It has challenged me to uh, uh, not see every negative thing that's not going my way as... God, where are you? But more or less of like, God, is there something here for me in this? 
not to see people who are difficult people in my life as, uh, 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 as like uh, the devil trying to distract me, but more so that maybe, God, what are you trying to teach me in this? Are you trying to be, teach me to be more loving? Are you trying to teach me to be more patient? Are you trying to teach me to stand up for truth or what's right? What are you trying to teach me, God? And what haven't I learned? I think in this section, too, what's really taught me is that the only great leaps of faith I will make will be courageous ones. And they will be difficult. And it will be hard. But I do think that me being a comfortable Christian does not belong in the vocabulary of faith. It's courage. And it will be difficult. So when trials come your way, the reader will continue to, to, to try to encourage them and show them a, a, a proper path in the next couple sermons to come. But for us here today, what I'd love you to walk away with thinking and wondering and asking God is what is speaking to me in that section of Hebrews? What, what are you trying to challenge me on, God? Where, where, what, where am I falling short here? Where am I mis, misinterpreting what you're doing? Where, where have I kind of gotten comfortable in my faith? Where have I missed you? And God, help me see this. Show me for correction, for guidance, for strength. God, we ask today that as every person here, as they go off and they have their Sunday and their week ahead of them, God, I ask that you give them eyes to see that maybe there are things that you are challenging them to grow in. All of us, God. There are particular people in my life, God, I know you've, you are not removing them from my life because you are growing me, and I see some of the growth. But God, I ask that every person here, no matter how much pressure, struggle, tragedy, triumph they have, God, that they can see that your hand is with them, that you love them as a child, and so therefore you treat them as a child of whom you love. And God, as we get down and as we get discouraged, as we feel hopeless, God, that we, we can remind ourselves of who you are and that you are with us. You never leave us or forsake us. And that you have something on the other side of the challenge. And that you have something you're doing inside of us within the challenge. We love you, God. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you guys stand with me this last song?